for seven seasons, it says. We think it was years. But seven seasons, Nebuchadnezzar ate grass like an ox. God has humbled Saul, and he lies there prophesying a day and a night naked. And this causes the people to look on Saul and says, is he also among the prophets? That's a good question. Consider some of the politicians that you know that you consider perhaps evil. And suppose that you heard them prophesying, declaring the great goodness of God in a very humbling way. You might say something like, has Nancy Pelosi become a Christian? You might say that. She's not my favorite politician. A few years back, quite a few years, there was a rumor that Jane Fonda had become a Christian and she'd receive forgiveness from the Lord. I consider Jane Fonda, after the whole Vietnam thing, a traitor. And it was hard for me to accept that Jane Fonda had received forgiveness. I was shocked. I was perturbed. And I kind of had a grudge against God for forgiving Jane. <laughs> but it turned out it was only a rumor. But that rumor exposed my hard heart that I wasn't willing to have just any sinner come before the Lord. David, he has fled Saul. And Saul has desired, uh, he's desired to see Saul repent, return to God. And can you imagine as David played his harp before Saul and sang psalms to Saul, that David wanted to see the king return to be the man of God that he once was. But regardless of Saul's behavior, David refuses to lift a hand against Saul. He will not harm Saul in any way because he realized Saul was God's anointed. And David has had opportunity after opportunity to kill Saul. He's been in his house. You know there was opportunity being there in Saul's house to take revenge upon Saul if that was in his heart. And there was not a person that would have thought evil of David for a moment because they've seen that Saul wanted to kill David. David has seen Saul demonstrate the worst of character. So let's read the first 10 verses of chapter 20 in 1 Samuel. Then David fled from Naoth to Ramah and went and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? So Jonathan said to him, By no means you shall not die. Indeed, my father will do nothing, either great or small, without first telling me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. 
Then David took an oath again and said, Your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes, and he has said, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. So Jonathan said to David, Whatever you yourself desires, I will do that for you. And David said to Jonathan, Indeed, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit with the king to eat. But let me go, that I may hide in the field until the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked permission of me that he might run over to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all of his family. If he says thus, it is well, you, your, your servant, will be safe. But if he is very angry, be sure that evil is determined by him. Therefore you shall deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there is iniquity in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? But Jonathan said, Far be it from you, for, I knew, for if I knew certainly that evil was determined by my father to come upon you, then would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me or what is your father's answer if he answers you roughly? Quite the same. David is more than aware that Saul has evil intent towards him, even trying to kill him. He goes to Jonathan, Saul's son, his friend, his good friend, and he says, what have I done? What is my sin? What is my iniquity before your father that he wants to kill me? Jonathan tells him, David, you will not die. Jonathan knew God's will for David, I think probably better than David knew it. But Saul, my father does nothing, neither great or small, without first telling me. I still have inside information of my father's desires, David. And David, he will not hide his intentions concerning you from me. But David realizes Saul's state of mind, and he tells Jonathan, there's only a step between me and death with your father. Kind of puts Jonathan in a peculiar situation. Jonathan, he reluctantly agrees with David and declares, whatever you want to do, David, I'm with you. I will do it. And we have this great show of loyalty and love from Jonathan towards David. David and Jonathan, primarily David, they hatch a scheme. They have a plan. And he says, tomorrow I'm supposed to sit at the king's table. Tomorrow there's a banquet. It's the new moon banquet. And I'm not going to be there, Jonathan. I'll hide in the field for those three days. And if Saul wonders where I am, tell your dad I went to Bethlehem for the yearly sacrifice of my family. David was from Bethlehem. 
If my absence makes Saul angry, know that your dad determined evil against me. But if I have iniquity in me, Jonathan, you kill me. Kill me yourself. Don't, you know, don't take me to your dad, but you kill me. Jonathan, he has a reply. If I knew for certain, if I really knew this, that my father had evil intention, would I not tell you? So let's pick up verse 11, chapter 20. And Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go out into the field. So both of them went out into the field. Then Jonathan said to David, The Lord God of Israel is witness. When I was, when I have sounded out my father sometime tomorrow or on the third day, and indeed there is good towards David, and I don't, and I do not sin to tell you, may the Lord do so much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do you evil, then I will report it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety, and the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan is sort of prophesying about the future reign of David there. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. And Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him. For he loved him as he loved his own soul. Then Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon, and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. And when you have stayed three days, go down quickly and come to the place where you hid on that day of the deed and remain by the stone easel. Then I will shoot three arrows, arrows to the side as though I shot at a target. And there I will send a lad saying, Go find the arrows. If I expressly say to the lad, Look, the arrows are on this side of you. Get them and come. Then as the Lord lives, there is safety for you and no harm. But if I say thus to the young man, Look, the arrows are beyond you. Go your way, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter which you and I have spoken of, indeed the Lord be between you and me forever. Then David hid in the field. And when the new moon had come, the king sat down to eat the feast. Jonathan and David, they have made a plan. They have determined if Saul is truly intent upon killing David. Quite a little scheme, but, you know, they're trying to check out the intent of Saul. David is certain Saul wants to kill him. Three times he's thrown a spear trying to kill David, and David understands this. Jonathan is trying to believe good about his own father. But he understands David's apprehension. He understands that David has fears, and he can see why David has fears. And they hatched this scheme about the arrows. The arrows being shot will be a sign, and Jonathan will call out to his arrow-chasing little lad and so forth. And they've made a covenant of peace between them, David 
and Jonathan. It can be difficult for us to accept the flaws of friends or family, to see their bad traits and understand that's, that's my mom, that's my dad, that's my good friend or whatever. When I was a young man, I had a good friend and I got him a job where I worked. My friend, however, was a bit on the lazy side. He lasted about two weeks and they fired him. I was upset. I considered quitting my job. But when I was forced to examine the behavior of my friends and his work ethics, I had to agree. He should have been fired, but he was still my friend. A few years back, this happened when I was a youth, a few years back I found out he was in prison. Not such a good report for a good friend. <laughs> but Jonathan, he must realize that his dad has this evil spirit come upon him and it's there wanting to kill David. But dad, he's king. And so we have Jonathan. He's torn between being loyal to dad and being loyal to David, who he knows is Israel's next king. And the love of David by Jonathan prevails. And if you say nothing else about Jonathan, realize he had a heart for God and a heart for David, God's anointed. Let's read now verse 25 through 42. Now the king sat on his seat as at other times, on a seat by the wall, and Jonathan arose, and Abner sat by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought, something has happened to him, he is unclean, surely he is unclean. And it happened the next day, the second day of the month, that David's place was empty, and Saul said to Jonathan his son, why has the son of Jesse not come to eat, either yesterday or today? So Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, please let me go, for our family has a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. And now, if I have found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brothers. Therefore, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was aroused, and he's angry with Jonathan. And he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established, nor your kingdom. Nor, now therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered Saul his father and said to him, Why should he be killed? What has he done? 
Then Saul cast a spear at him to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. If he tried to kill me, surely he's going to try to kill David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because of his father had treated him shamefully. And so it was in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field at the time appointed with David, and a little lad was with him. Then he said to the lad, Now run, find the arrows which I shoot. As the lad ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the lad had come to the place where the arrow was which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan cried out after the lad and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan cried out, Make haste, hurry, go, do not delay. So Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows and came back to his master. But the lad did not know anything. Only Jonathan David knew the matter. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to the lad and said to him, Go, carry them to the city. As soon as the lad had gone, David arose from the place towards the south, fell on his face to the ground, and bowed down three times. And they kissed one another, and they wept together, but David more so. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, May the Lord be between you and me, and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So he arose and departed, and Jonathan went in to the city. Saul has been watching for David at his new moon feast, but David doesn't show up. In verse 30 and 31 there, Saul is very angry. And he's angry with Jonathan for siding with David. And listen to Saul. Jonathan, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman, I know you have chosen David over your own right to be the next king of Israel. It hasn't escaped Saul that Jonathan, his son, is willing to give up the kingdom because of his friendship with David and because he realized David was God's anointed next king. Saul says to Jonathan, bring me David, for he must die. Verse 32, Jonathan questioned Saul right in front of all the dignitaries, all the uh, political leaders of Israel. And he says, why kill David? What has he done? Saul can't give a good answer to that, of course. So he's infuriated at David, or not David, but at David and Jonathan. And he's so mad that he throws a spear to kill his own son. <clears throat> and any thoughts that Saul is not out to kill David are thoroughly squashed <laughs> when that spear is thrown at his own son. It was, it was all the proof that Jonathan needed that his dad intended nothing but evil towards David. But Jonathan's reaction is noteworthy. 
he is, it says, fierce. He's filled with fierce anger towards his dad. And he's grieved. And he's not grieved for himself, even though Saul tried to kill him, but he's grieved for his friend David. And Jonathan has been treated shamefully because of his friendship with David. It's interesting that we sometimes get more upset when someone has offended perhaps a child, our spouse, than we are if they offend me. I think I accept ministry for what it is, knowing that I'm not going to please everybody. (laughs) And I can take the comments uh, that come my way, but don't attack my family. Don't attack my wife. You will get my anger. And Jonathan is angry because of what his dad is doing to David. And he's grieved, but he's not grieved for himself. Jonathan's defense of David put his own life in great danger. Danger from the king, danger from his own dad. It's interesting that Jonathan wants to protect David. And we see Jesus want to protect his disciples. So you may want to turn to Matthew 9, and we'll look at uh, four verses there, 9 through 13. Matthew 9, verse 9. And Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. But let me draw your attention to the fact that Jesus is now calling disciples to himself. He wants Matthew, the tax collector, to be one of his disciples. And he says to Matthew, follow me. And Matthew follows. Matthew is so excited about being a disciple of Jesus that he throws a banquet. He has a big party, and he, and he invites anyone and everyone to this party. And it was a common thing that you opened your house to anyone on a joyous occasion, and many other tax collectors come to this party. This, they attend this banquet. Now... You've got to set the scene a little here. No one was more hated in Israel than a tax collector. <laughs> they were considered traitors. They were traitors to Rome against their own people. They did Rome's dirty work of collecting money 
from their own Jewish uh, fellow man. Notice at this party, we have tax collectors, we have sinners, we have Pharisees, and this is a cross-section of Jewish society. It's interesting that those considered to be sinners come and sit down with Jesus and his chosen disciples. But the Pharisees, the self-righteous ones, they have a question, and it's a loaded question for the disciples. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But before the disciples can even answer, Jesus breaks into that conversation and says to the Pharisees, those who are well do not need a physician, but those who are sick. Jesus is watching over his brand new disciples. Jesus knows the evil heart of the Pharisees. And he will not allow his disciples to be badgered by these educated, religious, evil men. The Pharisees have an agenda. And it will come to light. They eventually want to kill Jesus. That's their agenda. He's taken away their power. The people are flocking to Jesus. And Jesus is well aware of their evil motives, and he intercedes for his disciples. Jonathan, Saul's son, has to admit he's a reluctant witness of his own father's evil motives, which is also murder. Jonathan answers to the king, his dad, why should David be killed? What has he done? And Saul cannot give a civilized answer. So Saul, in his rage, he throws a spear at his own son, Jonathan, trying to kill him. And all Jonathan has done is ask his father to explain why he wants to kill David. Jonathan's reaction, he becomes fiercely, it says fiercely angry with the king. He's so angry that he can't eat. I'd have to get really mad to be that, but anyway. Jonathan is grieved because he sees evilness in his own family. He's grieved because he knows David is innocent. And he's grieved because Saul tries to kill him and David. He's grieved because his dad acts so sinful and shamefully. But in our example of Jesus answering the Pharisees' question, it's got the same root of evilness that Saul had. The Pharisees, they want to shame the disciples. They want the disciples to look stupid, sinful, 
for following Jesus. Like Jonathan, we can become grieved when we see a fellow Christian being attacked unjustly. I live in Tennessee. Therefore, I do not get to vote in Alabama, all right? But I've seen TV ads where the Christian character of a man has been attacked. Roy Moore has been attacked by Luther Strange, who is also a Christian. Now, I'm not saying vote for one or vote for the other, but it bothered me that politics got so dirty that we have a Christian attacking a Christian. And if you watch the uh, president's speech Friday night, president was careful not to attack Roy Moore, but it didn't stop Luther Strange from attacking him. Our president promoted, as he said, Big Luther. Okay, that's fine. But he didn't attack Roy Moore like Luther Strange did. So the question becomes, when we see evil attacking good, shamefully, what do we do? Do we cast spears back at our opponents? Or do we be like Jonathan, a true loving person of passion saving the life of his friend David. So are you a spear chucker or are you a peacemaker? It's that simple. Amen. Let me get you a stand. We'll close in prayer. And it's easy to be a spear chucker at some of these politicians. I know. I throw a few. <laughs> Let's pray. Father God, we see the heart of Jonathan to do right by his friend David. And we know that you gave David the king's son as a friend in your divine will, Lord. And we see Jonathan and we desire to be like Jonathan, Lord. We want to be one that brings peace. We want to be the answer. We want to be the solution to problems. But Lord, we don't want to be Naive. We don't want to be dumb to the evilness that is out there. So, Lord, help us. Help us to determine where to take our stands, where to be a faithful servant of you, Lord. And let us be people that bring forth peace to a situation, not confrontation. Let us be careful about that, Lord. The world is full of enough violence towards one another. Let us be peacemakers in your kingdom. And we pray and ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.